G'day legends, just a quick note before we get into this episode. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you are, I reckon you'll love my vlog over on YouTube, Skulls Weekly. After almost 300 episodes of my daily vlog, Skulls Stories, we wanted to continue to make it interesting and add value to you guys as cricket lovers and cricketers, cricket coaches, and so we've changed it up. We're making it a much higher quality production. We're trying to give as much value as we can. And we've made it a weekly vlog, Skulls Weekly. We've had some excellent feedback so far. So guys, head over to YouTube, search Cricket Mentoring. Please subscribe, like, share, comment, etc. And check out my new vlog, Skulls Weekly. Welcome to the Cricket Mentoring Podcast. I'm Tom Scolle, or Skulls as I get called. And this podcast has been designed for cricketers and cricket lovers who want to learn and improve themselves. In this podcast, we interview past, current and future cricket stars to find out more about their journey and what makes them successful, while also sharing some audio from ourselves at Cricket Mentoring. Our goal is to help you become your best on and off the field, so I hope you enjoy this podcast and get something valuable out of it. G'day legends. This is part B in our conversation with South Australian and Adelaide Strikers opening batsman Jake Weatherald. If you haven't listened to Part A yet, then I highly recommend you go back and listen to that before listening to this episode. There was such great value in the first part of the conversation that you're missing out if you haven't listened to it. We pick up this part of the conversation with Jake discussing his game in great detail and how he has been developing it. I hope you enjoy the second part of this awesome conversation with Jake Weatherall. And what other things have you been working on in the last sort of six months in your game and how are you someone that likes to tinker and try different things or are you someone that likes to think, okay, this is my method. I'm going to stick with it unless I'm have to change. Um, yeah. A massive tinkerer. Yeah. I'm, I believe in tinkering. I think it's, um, I know it might not work for everyone, but same time I've, I feel as though that tinkering to be successful has got me to where I am and being able to make, make sure I survive in my game. Um, because I feel as though that you're going to be challenged all the time with your, with your, with what's going on, and people are going to try to get you out different ways, and new things are going to crop up all the time. So if you're willing to slightly change your game in order to make sure you're successful and continue to be successful, um, then I think you should be all for it. But you know, those things have been detrimental and been great for me. So I'm not going to say that it's great to change everything, but at the same time, if you've got a mindset to constantly, you know, keep improving, um, and there might be improvement, might just be doing the same thing. It might just be working hard at the same thing and getting that better. So. That's tinkering as well in my mind. You know, you're tinkering with the fact that you're just not going to do anything because you feel as though it's the best process. So for me, it was, I had to figure out how to make sure I wasn't falling over as much. The left-handers curse, you just want to fall over a lot with your front, with your head. Um, and that meant my front foot was constantly going across my body. And every time I try to play anything through mid-off, um, mid-on or through cover, I'd be bringing through a pretty, um, pretty uh, sliced uh, back face. And I just nick off for fun. So my first technical thing that I worked on was making sure that I was stepping straight, and that actually meant that actually led to me doing things quite dramatically. I just did a bit like what Steve Smith sort of does a little bit sometimes, and what Shane Watson did, where they'd have quite a light front foot and pretty much wouldn't plant it, and they'd literally hover their front foot for a while to make sure that they were just going in the line of the ball and not planting too early. Um, so it sometimes looks a bit ridiculous. Um, but for me, it makes sure that my head's going straight and my foot's going straight because they do work in tandem. Um, but yeah, making my, my foot was such a big deal to me 
in the way I thought about batting because I felt if I was squaring up that it, my foot was always too square and sometimes pointing to point. So it made me very hard to be able to hit down the ground, which is my strength when I'm hitting the ball well. So were you doing these changes in season? Like you spoke about doing that work with Bluey in the lead up to the season, but this sort of hovering front foot, are you doing, you're obviously tinkering, but in you're trying things in your, in your net sessions, like training sessions, or is it the net session before a day's play or how are you managing your game in season? Cause this is something a lot of young players struggle with. They struggle with, yep. okay, I've got a game tomorrow, so I don't want to try something. I'm too scared to try something. I don't want to feel awkward or uncomfortable tomorrow, even though, like you say, it might be one step backwards to go two steps forward. How did you manage it in season? Yeah, I think sometimes you just can't, you can't fear that a little bit. It's sort of like the moment comes to you where you might actually figure something out. You just got to take it on. I feel as if, if I didn't have that mentality, I'm ultimately not going to be successful in four games time. Because, you know, you, you ultimately want to know, you, 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 hopefully I'm good enough now that I'll still survive and still make runs. And, and, and because of that, as I said, the 10,000 hours thing, sometimes I back myself to make a technical change and just go for it, that, that session. And I was reading some good stuff from Roger Federer. He said he makes, he makes technical changes all the time. It might not, no one notices it, but he notices it and he just goes for it. He just says, like, if I do it, I do it. And I just trust myself to be able to react and do what I want to do. So I sort of, and reading other professional athletes, they do that because they want to survive. And I think if you want to survive in cricket, you've got to be able to, you know, do things differently occasionally to make sure that you're, you're better in the future, but also you're going to survive that game. Um, because if you don't make those changes, you're going to repeat the same mistakes sometimes. And Ultimately, that might cost you because you you can't wait till next preseason sometimes because you might ever if you're if you're a good cricketer you don't have preseasons you're playing mm. all year round so mm. yeah that's just ultimately what you're going to do is probably not the best thing for you but at the same time day before a game you're hopefully not doing much technical work um, I try not to because I feel as though that I plan my sessions out that if I'm doing anything technical that it's you know three or four days out um, so I, so once that session's over I'm just preparing for the game but. If you're playing a one-day series or a, you have a T20 stuff, sometimes you just can't you can't hold off on that. You just got to go for it. Absolutely, and if you're aspiring to play at a higher level, you've got to be furthering your game to be ready for that level. If you're just trying to manage it to keep your game where you're at now, once you maybe get to the higher level, you're not going to be ready. So you've got to always be sort of trying to improve and be better and ready for the next level. How did you manage your? We've spoken of probably a fair bit here about Red Bull cricket. How did you? How do you manage your Red Bull game during the Big Bash period? Do you ever get any red? Do you ever do any Red Bull practice during the Big Bash period, or is that just all solely white ball focused? And you go back to Red Bull once Big Bash is finished. Um, sorry, sorry. Yep. Um, yeah, I, it's a funny one with Big Bash because I probably feel as though that I don't get enough white ball stuff in. So my Big Bash time is solely purely white ball stuff, uh, which is just the decision I make purely because I just don't get enough of it. Um, you know, you prepare for your shield stuff, you have a bit of preparation now with the Matador, or the, the one day stuff, the way it's set up, sort of preparing for red ball stuff the whole time and a little bit of white ball stuff. Um, so when I get into the T20 stuff, I literally just go hard at T20 cricket, you know, because I feel as though that um, if I want to be good at all, if I want to be a good player, I've got to be good at all three formats and I've got to be putting in the amount of effort I do with my Red Bull stuff into T20 stuff as well. So, you know, you get six weeks of doing that. Sometimes it's pretty uh, nerve-wracking for myself who loves training and loves to feel prepared. Um, and it's sort of, 
it's sort of probably shown my results a little bit because I've been probably trying to aspire to do so many things and trying to work on so many so many aspects of my game and change so many things so quickly that it probably becomes a little bit detrimental. Um, so it's probably navigating myself through that as well, trying to figure out what I can change throughout a big bash time and what I can alter slightly in order to, to be good. But yeah, and no, as I said, it's it's a constant battle with white ball cricket because technically you have to have to adapt um, a little bit to change over because just how it is, you know, you can't have one technique for all formats. I don't believe it's just so hard to do it. Um, you, so you what do you change? It. What do you change in your technique? Changing formats? You change your setup, or do you change where your weight is, or um, you, is it a game plan change mostly? Game plan change mostly, um, and technical things sort of evolve from that. Sometimes they're negative, so sometimes your head might be too far back um, because you're setting up. I generally set up for my back foot stuff. Um, I want to put pressure on their length balls, which is a lot of what a lot of bowlers bowl in Australia because boundaries are so square. Um, and I want to be able to give myself um, access to the ball. So sometimes your front foot, um, you know, my front foot goes everywhere. Uh, my back, my my head goes so far back. So I do develop some some bad habits. Um, when you're playing T20 cricket. So they're the things you're trying to correct throughout a T20 season because the fundamentals still stay the same. Um, but at the same time, you're also trying to, you know, try to be able to manoeuvre yourself around the crease and give yourself access to areas around the ground, but also maintain some sort of technique. It sometimes can be quite difficult. Um, so game plan, it sort of ties in a little bit. Technical and game plan sort of can be quite hard on each other. Yeah. Um, you made your first class debut first, then your list day, then your 2020. You've been consistently at the top of the order in all three formats for the Strikers and South Australia. What format do you think you're best at? Oh, I would have said one day cricket, but I feel as I'm a red ball cricket because I've developed most most my stuff in the last you know uh, year or so. Probably my red ball stuff's got a lot better and probably probably where I feel most comfortable at the moment. Um, my white ball stuff. Um, because I feel as though that if I want to push into the Australian team, I've got to take another level up. I've probably got to be a bit more aggressive at the top of the order, even more than I think I am now. So if I want to do that and do that consistently, I've got to, you know, figure out a bit more, a few more technical things, but also a few more mental and game plan things to, to make sure that I can be a more explosive player at the top of the order and, and push myself into the Australian team pure because I'm something different to what everyone else is in Australia. Um, that's how I see my development. Um, and the way I'm going to do that is just by, you know, working out mentally how I'm going to go through that and physically um, and technically. So that's the next step for me, I think. Yep. Now, on the 4th of February 2018, you scored an amazing 100 in the Big Bash final. Tell us a bit about that day. Why? What happened that day? Did you wake up and you thought, I'm going to be the match winner today? Did you wake up and just think, oh, I'm going to have fun today? Or tell us a bit about your mindset on that day. Such a big game. Yeah, it been quite a good leading up to that. I reckon I made about five fifties in the last six games leading up to that game. So I, I felt quite comfortable in my game. I felt as though that everything was going quite well. Um, I felt as though if I just stayed to what I was doing, that I was going to be successful. And it was just one of those days where I just walked out there, trusted what I was going to do. And I didn't really have much of a, a thought about getting out. I was just like, you know, it's been working the last six games, so everything should be all right. And, it just went on from there. Um, nothing, I couldn't tell you anything more than that. It was just pure, yeah, it was just in the zone batting that didn't change and didn't, yeah, nothing, no emotions came over me that were any different that, to any other day that I was batting the last six games leading up. It was just pure adrenaline and going there and you know, just watching the ball. Was, watching the ball to a, as simple as that, watching the ball and just trying to react to it. 
Now, you've mentioned you've, you had some good scores leading up to that day, and that was probably one of the best innings of your career, I imagine. Um, how much do you think confidence plays a part in your, your game? And how do you deal with a, a rough trot? If you've got four low scores in a row or a handful of low scores, how do you bounce back from that and try and make sure you're playing with freedom and playing at your best? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting statement because I wouldn't have known that until about six months ago. So um, I really didn't have an understanding about why I went out of form or, you know, no one really does, but you sort of try to build up a consistent mindset to why, to, to success um, and to consistent um, uh, development in order to make sure that when you rock out into the field, you understand what you're doing mentally, technically and game plan wise. They're probably the three pillars I sort of work myself on. If I feel as I'm technically prepared, I feel as I'm mentally prepared, I feel as I'm game plan prepared. I generally feel as I'm putting myself in the best um, frame to be, be successful in all three formats. So um, I know te- some people don't like talking about technique and making sure, but technically for me, if I don't feel technically ready for a bowler or a team, that really hurts my mental my mental process. It really hurts my, in my game plan process because the game plan, everything revolves around my technique kind of for me. If my technique feels good, I feel as everything revolves around that because I can I feel confident enough to walk out there and face anyone when I'm technically going well. So that's just for me. People work differently, but um, technique for me is probably the biggest pillar and everything else feeds off that. Um, and that's probably what I've worked out the last year. Um, so if I'm preparing for a game, technical stuff, it might, not be, it might just be nailing down my technical things leading up to a game. It might not be changing anything, but it might be just be if I'm preparing for a game. Technically, I know I'm really good for this team. Now it's mentally how I'm going to play them and then game plan what am I going to implement throughout that game? What am I going to get? And how I'm going to, how I'm going to deal with it? So at the top level, um, say, say across the board, what level do you, what percentage, if you have to, had to break it down, what percentage do you think is technical and what percentage is mental across the board? And then for you, what's technical and what's mental? Across the board, um, I've never seen anyone who has a terrible technique that's successful consistently. So People will say it's a lot. It's like probably like twenty percent technical and eighty percent mental. But no one. Uh, I, I'm. It's. I'm still on the fence with that one. I probably would say fifty-fifty. But. Yeah. Um, um, and I probably would say more technical sometimes with the younger blokes when you walk out when they when they're when you're first starting first-class cricket because I've seen plenty of blokes who would technically have nothing have never made runs. So it doesn't happen very often. People still make runs without a great technique, but it doesn't happen very often. Um, yeah, in my opinion, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's a, it's a funny debate I would have with people. But I really don't know what what people think. But how I see it, yeah, it doesn't really happen very often. Fair enough. Um, you you mentioned about getting your technique right for an opposition, then you get your mental state right. Do you how do you mentally prepare, and do you have a different mentality or mental state for a different opposition, or do you try and be super consistent with your mental state? Well, my mental state is something that is a constant work on. I do understand the important. I actually think it's very important as well. And that's sort of, as I said, it's about a confidence thing. Purely technical is a confidence thing. But then when it gets to the mental stuff, it's about making sure that you have an understanding about what's going to make you make your game come out and sort of make sure that your subconscious is um, coming through when it wants to and your conscious is not making the decision your subconscious is. So... I understand the mental process, or hopefully understand well enough the mental process for success. And um, sometimes I know if I'm 
preparing for a team. Mentally, I've got to know that they're going to challenge me with their voice. They're going to challenge me with short ball. They're going to challenge me with bowling good length outside off stump. I've got to make sure that at the end of the day, all I'm doing is allowing my subconscious to make more of my decisions and my conscious thoughts. So that's either done with, you know, you know, keywords, um, words I used in order to be successful and words that will make sure that my technique and my game plan align together so that my mental, so my subconscious then can react to the ball when it's coming down. That's uh, a bit technical there, but um, they're just things that when I pair for a team, I know, I understand the challenges that are going to come against me, but also understanding about how I'm going to do it how I'm going to prepare for that attack in terms of my mental mindset. Because I know the challenges are about to come, but how can I make sure that I make the best decisions out in the field? And they're generally done by making sure that I don't think about what they're doing, kind of, and make sure that my subconscious is allowed to make all the decisions and my conscious is not. So do you visualise? Do you visualise what they're going to do to you? Uh, I don't visualise in terms... I visualise... I don't... Uh, it's, it's a hard one, visualisation, because I get caught up a little bit in, um, in the negative sometimes. Um, so I purely will watch footage. I watch a lot of footage of players about them doing badly because I want to have positive reinforcements that what I'm about to do is it's able to be done. Um, so I'll generally just watch footage of people getting whacked. Um, and I do do a bit of visualisation in terms of purely my game, not, nothing else with purely how I do it. So I do a lot of visualisation with myself. I'll sit there, you know, talk about shadow batting and stuff like that. I'll do that stuff. and But I'll purely just do that in my own regard, like me playing how I want to hit the ball, how I want to do things. Um, because at the end of the day, whoever I'm facing, ultimately the way I want to set up is that when the ball gets to my half, it's just between me and the ball mm. and, not the bat and not the bowler. Mm. It's impossible to do that sometimes because if you're facing the best bowler in the world, you're going to be shit yourself. There's no doubt about that. But... Mm it's able to make sure that moment, the moment you're about to make contact with the ball, it's just you battling the ball and nothing else. Um, mm. And that's sort of the, the way I try to structure things and the way I try to prepare for bowlers is to know the challenges I'm about to face because of who they are or what they bring. They bowl out to an in-swing. You, you, you just want to know that that's going to that's gonna happen. But when you get down there, you can control those variables when the ball is down at your end of the, the, end of the wicket. Yeah, very, very good point. I've not really heard anyone talk about batting like that before. So really interesting there. Now, in terms of your mindset in the moment, um, Buck's spoken to me a fair bit um, about the water tank analogy that Michael Lloyd used with you guys up in the NPS. And how do you manage your thoughts in between balls? And do you have a pre-ball routine? And what do you think about as the bowler's running in? Yeah, so like I said, it's um, I've worked with... Um, quite a few psychologists, um, psychiatrists and stuff like that in order to unlock probably my understanding of what will make me clear in the moment. Um, clarity is, you know, such a, a, an easy thing to think about, but it's such a hard thing to do when things are going, when things are, you know, heated. And um, so it's sort of my pre-ball, I'll definitely have to have a pre, pre-ball stuff just to know that I prepare, like I, it makes me clear that I actually have something there. Um, ultimately, if it works or not, you don't know, but, um, what I'll do is walk off. I'll un, un, unglove my my gloves. Just sort of, hopefully, that sort of that that to me just says that 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 ball's over. That everything's done. Um, you can't control what's going to come out of his hand anymore. You just got to walk up there, do your process, which is generally put my gloves back on, um, scratch the crease a little bit, and I'll just say to myself, um, straight drive, which is um, something that I use to myself. 
purely not because I think I should play a straight drive, but it's just because it makes myself aligned. It allows my technique to be right, but also allows me to have this mindset that I'm actually being kind of positive in that mindset um, instead of just having this thought that I'm just waiting for the bowl to bowl something. I'm sort of have a, I'm actually doing an active thing to control the situation. Um, you have no control of the bowler what they're bowling, but you ultimately control your actions, and that action for me allows me to set up something that I feel as though will give me the best access to the ball and the best mindset to tackle whatever comes down to me. But yeah, there's, it's pretty simple, but there's a lot of process before that that's come into that thing and a lot of information I've had to take on to get to that point, uh, into that clarity. Um, and actually trust that's biggest, probably the hardest thing to do because when you start freaking out, your mind wants to protect you and start saying, oh, you know, do this, do this, control this, control this. But ultimately, that, that's all out of your hands and... Um, you just got to make sure that, well, I just try to make sure that I'm just clear in that mind that I just got to play that, play it the way I want to do it. And, and those thoughts that help me out a lot in that, in making sure my emotions are good. Yeah, that's fascinating. Something that um, I coached the NT under 19s this year, that was the carnivals here in Perth. And we went along to the Wacker and the Aussies were training and, and our group and Bucks CA 11 sort of were the only two teams there and a few questions. Buck was asking JL a few questions. And the one thing that JL said is like incredibly important for all cricketers is to understand and have a routine. So it sounds like it's, and it's like, it's like learning to play a cover drive. You don't learn that the first time you do it. It's something that evolves and you, you sort of are constantly managing. And I think your, your routine physically and mentally is something you have to practice. And it's something I always work on with my athletes is, really trying to get clear on their routine. It doesn't happen overnight. It take, does take years to get to get consistent and to get clear and, and trusted. And it sounds like that's where you're at right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real hard one for cricketers and it's probably something that a lot of athletes outside of cricket have developed. Um, cricketers for a long time, have, you know, they talk about how important the mental part of it. And I think, you know, as simple as it sounds, that part of it's actually something you need to train quite a lot um, purely because it is such a big part of the game. And, your emotions leading up to that ball are ultimately going to decide how you play that ball and what's going to happen. So, you know, if anyone tells you that, you know, working with psychologists or working with these people can be detrimental, well, they're, they're the things they're always going to try to push is make sure that you have more clarity when you're facing a ball. And they're the things that I think really benefit cricketers. And saying that if, they, if you talk about the importance of mental part of the game, the best players have just, they, they're, I think what a psychologist can do for younger players is un- let, let them understand that quicker and understand the importance of that quicker. So it doesn't take them to their 31 to start understanding how to bat, you know, 10 hours or, you know, bat a whole day. You know, they can bat a whole day. They have the skill to do it. It's about the mental process and how to do that consistently. So that's probably something that I've always pushed in my, in, in our world at soccer and stuff like that, to have those people around to, to let the players understand how important that stuff is and, you know, everyone talks about you know making sure you get your ten thousand hours in um, physically, but if you don't do it mentally as well, you you're gonna have to wait until you're thirty to be get your best years, and by that you might not ever play first class cricket or might not ever play have, have played international cricket. So mm. it's one of those things you we want to make sure you're always working on. The quicker you can work out yourself as a person and how you tick, the the more successful you're going to be. If you understand, and I think a great example again I bring up JL is when JL and and Hayden used to open together. I, I heard a story that. JL would have the music up loud and be bouncing around and trying to get his emotion up and like sort of shadow boxing. And Hayden would be there with a towel over his head, meditating, almost trying to get his emotion sort of down. And each individual has to, even though they're going out to do the exact same job against the exact same bowlers, every, 
every sort of individual has to work out what works best for them. And it's a process. It's a process of trying different things. We're going to have to sort of wrap up at some point soon. I could chat to you all day, but um, something that I suppose is a challenge in first class cricket is if you have success and you do well against an opposition, they'll go away and they'll review that. They'll analyze that and they'll come back with different plans next time. Or if they've had success against you and you haven't got any runs, they'll possibly do something similar and everyone has access to footage and can, can really pull apart your game. When you're playing against similar bowlers or at the same grounds regularly, how do you tackle the challenge of a bowler who's had the better of you or you're playing at a ground that you don't traditionally do well at? How do you tackle that mental challenge? Yeah, I probably wouldn't start doing that well up until, yeah, as I said, I probably struggle with that quite a bit. That's quite a, a, quite a fear of mine, I would say. Um, and they're things you quickly, the better, more honest with yourself you are, uh, the better you get quicker. You know, you don't want to deny the fact that you're, you might be terrible at a certain ground because you, you, then you're just negating the fact of why you're there. You're not that great at that ground. So, you know, a, a great example would be, um, you know, my start of the wacker was horrific. You know, I, I made three ducks in a row there. Um, apparently the best batting wicket on, in the planet, on the planet. And I found it the hardest place on earth to bat on. So um, I had to go away quickly and review why I was doing that and what was happening. I didn't say, you know, I'll be all right. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I'll, I'll be fine. Um, I had to go away and actually understand, watch other people bat on the whacker, you know, feed off information other people, but then mentally understand what I feel as I could do to be successful there. And thankfully, I went back out there the year, two years later and did really well there. So that was sort of a process I had to take and sort of be very frank with myself that, you know, conditions are all different. And the bowling attacks are all different. They'll attack you in all different ways. You've got to feed off the information you get, even if it's a, a great a great day or a bad day, because you have a great day against an attack, you know, next time they come up against you. Yeah, you might have a plan against a certain attack. You're going to go out there, do all your things, and they might do something completely different. So it's sometimes you, you have to be you're fast on your feet when you're out there batting, but also you have to have some sort of understanding about how the attack's going to be. You know, that just clears your mind a little bit, but also understand the wicket and how you're going to go about it on that wicket. Have some sort of a plan, but also back yourself to react out in the game, out in the out in the out in the heat, the, the heat of the battle. I was going to say um, because at the end of the day, it's the game does change so quickly. You know, I've had times where I've just been, I've been cruising. Um, they've been bowling full at me the whole day, and then suddenly they start bowling short on the flattest wicket possible, and it just becomes the hardest place on earth to bat. Um, starts getting variable bounds, things start happening, and it's about how you deal with that that new that new challenge. Just, mentally is how you're going to be successful in the long run as a player because if you don't get through those passages you don't make big scores so um it's just about dealing with each little battle at a time and sort of trying to um, pinpoint those little battles out and understand when times gonna get tougher and when they're not going to be as tough and just hopefully you can do that for long periods of time and as i said i struggled with that for quite a period uh, quite a lot large part of my career until this year it wasn't up to this year i'd never batted for a day in shield cricket so um, that was the first time ever I batted, I guess, yeah, Tasmania. I batted a whole day of first-class cricket. And that's until I understood how to get through those situations in a better way and how I prepared leading up to it, how I was going to play against them, how I was going to go about on that wicket. All that stuff came into it. So it was quite important. Now, you spoke earlier about being sort of quite meticulous in your preparation. And Buck said you've got great attention to detail. Do you reflect and review after every game. Cameron Bancroft said he writes things down after every match. Um, how do you go about reflecting and learning? Do you keep a cricket journal or a cricket diary? 
Um, yeah, I review my game every... So day after a game, I give my, myself the night off um, just to reflect, you know, because I feel as though no matter how I go, I'll be negative to myself. Um, and that's probably to a detriment to some degree. So I said to myself, after every game, I give myself a night off to then reflect the next day. Because if I do it in the emotion the day of the game, I sometimes can be a bit too negative. So uh, I'll wait till the next day. I'll get my computer up and I'll watch the whole game again. I'll watch every spell of every bowler, how they went about it, how they bowled to me. Um, prepare um, and analyse how I went against each bowler, what, how they tried to get me out and what I could do for the future against that bowler if I had success I can tick it off technically if I was right tick that off so I'll review each bowler how I went technically mentally and physically um, and game plan wise so and when you I'll scored go. when you scored your big score and batted all day it must have been a long day watching the next day it was yeah exactly right <laughs> so I worked up that morning and had to review myself that I just it, it, it's like it's like a thing when you when you commit to something you can't not do it so um, I said bugger I'm just going to do it I'm going to review myself every day after a game um, so, yeah, you sit, you sit yourself there, watch yourself back. And even, it's funny, even because you're so harsh on yourself, even when you make 100, 198, you still sit there and look at the negatives every time. So um, it's sort of a constant challenge with yourself to, to realise you are human and you are going to make mistakes. But, um, yeah, it's just about being as consistent as possible. So I just review myself every game and then I'll then review, preview the team coming up. So I give myself five days to – there's generally about six or five days before each shield game. Um, in between, so I'll generally give myself five days, five days out. I prepare each day before that shield game coming up, and how I'm going to tackle my training sessions and how I'm going to prepare for that next team coming up. So, are you writing stuff down when you're reviewing your game? You're saying, "Yep, did this well. Yep, did that well. Could have done better here. Could have been better there." Um, and against Tassie next week, I'm going to focus on this in my on Wednesday, this on Thursday, this on Friday, this on Saturday, game day Sunday. Yeah, that's exactly how I go about it. Yeah, so that's yeah, exactly awesome. how I prepare for each our review and prepare for each game. Um, and that, what it does really is it means that I don't, I have less anxiety when preparing for a game because I feel as I've, I've I know how I'm going to go about it. I don't have moments where I'm sitting in the house going, am I ready for this game? Um, yeah. I, I generally just sit there and go, no, I've done everything. I've done my, got my hours in, I've got my load in, I've got everything I need to and I'm ready to go. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well done, mate. Sounds like you're a very, very good planner and you have incredible attention to detail. Now, final sort of few questions before we wrap this up. How, how do you switch off and get away from the game? Um, obviously, cricket can be all-consuming. It's something we all, as cricketers, no matter what level, we can think about the game and our last dismissal, our last game all the time. How do you get away from it? Yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, uh, not debate, um, quite interesting topic because like most cricketers, as you said, we are pretty... Uh, uh, anxious sort of people and people that overthink things a lot. So I sort of had to, I sort of had to match my level of intensity with something else, and something else that I found quite, um, quite fun and quite enjoyable to do that would make me not think about cricket as much when I didn't need to. Um, so the, it took me a long time to figure it out, but I probably went into music um, quite a bit. Um, I went into playing guitar, and I probably think about the guitar more than cricket now. Really, um, I probably play more than I do play cricket. So. It's, I had to match my level of intensity quickly with something else and, and playing the guitar and play, playing music with my friends and my family was probably the biggest thing that switched me off the most and something that I could go to knowing that I was going to enjoy it just as much as batting um, because nothing else outside of batting was in, I was enjoying as much. Um, hopefully my missus doesn't hear that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just... <laughs> 
but yeah, it's, so music was the my escape, really. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And I think it's a very important thing you've raised there that we all need to find things and it's not going to happen overnight again, but we've got to try things and find things that keep us entertained and interested outside of cricket. Now, what drives you? Uh, drives me? Um, probably playing simply just trying to be the best player in the world, probably. Um, you know, it might never happen, but if I don't have the mindset to do that, then I, you know, I probably wouldn't play cricket because at, at the end of the day, like, when I talk about guitar, I know I'm not going to be the best guitarist on the planet. I probably won't be, but I have the mindset I'm trying to be. So it, that, that's that. what drives me. All It sort of drives me. No matter what I do, I sort of have to have that thought because if I'm not doing, I'm just trying to shortchange myself a little bit. Um, and I probably feel like I'll never eke out every bit of potential I've got. Um, and if I don't have that mindset, yeah, as I said, I'll just be, I wouldn't be playing cricket. I love that, mate. I love people that think big and back themselves and aren't afraid to sort of say that that's what they're chasing. So well done. Um, looking ahead and uh, everything has gone as po- well as it possibly can and you're retired, you're having a beer with your mates. What will have you have achieved in cricket from here on in? Oh, well, hopefully I've played all three formats for Australia and played a long time in all three formats. So, you know, I'd love just to have played 100 games in every format. You know, I'm not going to... Re- I'm not, I, I know that's a, a lofty goal and saying that a lot of play, players would probably say as well. But um, if I don't, as I said, if I don't have that mindset, if I don't have that game plan or not that, that mindset to do that, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm never going to have any chance of doing it. So, yeah, yeah probably playing 100 games in all three formats would be my, my absolute goals. I feel as though that's what great players do. Love that. Love that. Now, what's common in the best players you've seen? Common in the best players I've seen? They are, they meant from a mental for a mental thing. They are just absolutely in their own zone. Um, no matter the situation, they can adjust, but then thrive in their own way. Um, and that's done by, you know, it might be the, the way they can control a situation is is just incredible. They can walk. I've seen some of the bet like Steve Smith when I've watched him bat. No matter how green the wicket is, no matter how many what things are going on around him, he's able to. Um, bat in a way that's purely him, but also score freely or score will not score at all based on what he wants to do. He controls every situation he's in. Um, and that's saying that I feel as though the best players do, they control situations better than anyone else um, on the ground. Um, and you can just feel their, their aura when they're out there. You just know that they're there doing their own thing and not really worried about what other people are doing. Um, and that's saying that I've tried to do in my game become more internalised in that regard, but also just back myself in my game to do what I want to do. Because um, they definitely do when they walk out the bat. They might not be, they might not think about that, but they definitely look like when they're out there batting. So, Yeah, awesome, awesome. Now, we're at the end of the season. You're having a break. Um, we're all sort of being affected by the coronavirus that's going on at the moment. What's what's next for you? What are the, is the next few months and next period look like for you? Uh, well, I've just finished my eight hours a day playing guitar for the last two weeks. So I've played two, I've played eight hours every day for the last two, for the last two weeks. So that's done. Um, that was my time off. So as I said, I was going to do that anyway. I was going to have two weeks off doing nothing but playing guitar. So now it's, uh, I'm going to be training. Um, well, I was hopefully going to be able to go running and stuff like that. I've got a, a, a fitness guy that I work with twice a day from now on until the start of preseason. Twice um, a day. So my, yeah. So hopefully, um, be at a level because I feel as though pre-season is a time to hit balls it's not a time to work on your fitness the off-season is your time to work on your fitness and pre-season is there to get your load in um, so 
I don't believe in people waiting all the time the preseason because then you're just catching up again. So um, hopefully my off season is just pure training. Fitness, and that's he, and he's a he's just well. a personal coach. You you pay yourself to to help you get fit. Yeah. So I actually employ my own physio, uh, my own personal trainer as well. So awesome. Well done. Yeah. So then yeah, and then apart from that, I was hoping to try catch buck a bit as I said he's quite one of my mentors and stuff like that so we're trying to figure out at the moment what we can do inside or you know in my house to make sure I'm working on my skills as well because you sort of try to get some sort of a positives out of it you sort of make sure you work on things you probably wouldn't do if you weren't if the circumstances were the like they are now so it might be just working on other things you're going you would never think of doing so mm. yeah it's a funny time we're living through now final few questions I ask all of our guests why do you play cricket uh, why do I play cricket? Uh, because I just love batting, I guess. I hate fielding, but love batting. There's no, like, there's no other sensation like it. So I just love um, not even making runs. I could honestly hit the, hit the nets for 12 hours a day. I wouldn't bother me. I would have no problem with it. If someone's willing to wang for 12 hours, I'd happily do it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. I love it as well. Now, before I ask our final question, how can people follow you? If people are interested in knowing more about you and following your journey and hopefully seeing you play all three formats for Australia, where can people follow you? Uh, well, hopefully on the TV because I'm playing for Australia. But, um, yeah, uh, if not, I don't, I'm not the massive social media person. Um, to be honest, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty terrible with that stuff. My, my partner actually runs my account. So um, if you want to follow me, um, you're probably just going to have to follow either... Um, the Redbacks or the Strikers because that's probably the only content you'll get from me. But yeah, yeah. hopefully this hopefully this stuff gets a bit of better insight into what I do. Um, as I said, yeah. I'm quite quite um, insular when it comes to my stuff outside of cricket. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we'll put a link to your Instagram account on, uh, but that's just your name, Jake Weatherall on Instagram. Now, final question yeah. is: What is your definition of success? But definition of success is longevity. Um, is no one has longevity without being successful. So if you have a long time in the game, you know, I don't, you know, people talk about, you know, how good, um, how good Ricky Ponting and um, Brian Lara were, but I, you know, Tendulkar is the ultimate for me playing 200 test matches, whatever he did. Um, and to be successful for as long as he was, it's the ultimate, I think. So um, yeah. longevity is where you make your name. That's ultimately where you'll become the best player on earth. That's longevity. Amazing, amazing. Well, Jake, thank you so much for that insight, mate. It's been fascinating. And as I said at the start, our first um, call via Zoom. So hopefully this audio has worked okay. And hopefully our audience has enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. So thank you so much, mate. And we cricket mentoring and we wish you the best for your, for your future and um, the rest of your career. No worries. Thanks, mate. Cheers for having me. Well, legends, I hope you enjoyed this second part of my conversation with South Australian cricketer Jake Weatherald. Like I said at the start, if you haven't already, please make sure you go back and listen to part A where Jake shared so many great stories and insights into his journey and him as a person and cricketer. I love the part of this conversation where we discussed tinkering with his game and how he's continually trying to get better. What I took out of that part was, you're going to be challenged all the time and people are going to try and get you out in different ways so you've got to be willing to slightly change your game regularly so that you can continue to be successful in the future. Tinkering doesn't have to be about changing something. It could be just keeping things the same over and over. If something's working, it might be that you continue to work hard at the same thing to keep getting better. 
And what about the story you shared about Roger Federer and how he makes technical changes all the time and just goes for it? He said, I just trust myself and react and do what I want to do. And how they do that so that they are better in the future. An awesome insight into one of the best sportsmen of all time. I really enjoyed hearing about how Jake prepares himself mentally. As he said, it's about making sure your subconscious is making the decisions rather than your conscious. It was interesting to hear how he said when he's mentally preparing for a team, he knows they were challenging with their voice, short balls, and by bowling to the top of off stump. And he needs to make sure he's allowing his subconscious to make more of the decisions, which is done with keywords to allow his game plan and technique to come together. I also loved hearing his ambitions for the future and how he aspires to play 100 games for Australia in all three formats. And that if he doesn't have that mindset, he's no chance of doing it. A real lesson for any aspiring cricketer listening. That's it for this episode with Jake. Did you enjoy that it was broken into two parts? Or would you prefer it all as one? Please send me a message on the Cricket Mentoring social channels as I'd love to hear your feedback. I really hope you're enjoying these fascinating stories from the amazing people that I'm sharing with you guys. If you are enjoying this podcast, then I'd love if you could please take 60 to 90 seconds to leave a review as it helps us move up the rankings and get heard by more people. And send me a message on the Cricket Mentoring social channels so I know you're listening and you're enjoying it. Thanks a lot for listening, legends. Now it's time to go out and get it done. Shop, boy.